G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. You're either a tenant living like a tenant or you're a tenant living like an owner. When are you going to realize God has gifted you, but you're not the owner? Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks so much for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. In this message, Pastor Jeff is asking us if we're living like a tenant or living like an owner. We're in Luke chapter 20, looking at the parable of the tenants. Now, Pastor Jeff covers a lot in this message and moves quite fast. But don't worry, you can always listen again if you visit vision.org.au. Let's hear the message now on Today with Jeff Vines. Luke chapter 20, verse 9 through 19. We'll get to that in a few moments. Hey, you learn pretty quickly when you're the tenant and not the owner and you start to move outside the restrictions of the owner, things are going to go south pretty quickly. And uh, this weekend, we start a new series and it's called Face to Face. And I'm asking you this question. If God could just take you to a coffee place, sit across the table from you and have a one-on-one an intervention with you, what would he say to you at this point in your life? Now you say, Jeff, you have no idea what he would say to me, so how are you going to talk about that for five weeks? Well, you're right. I don't have any idea personally what you might be struggling with, but I do know this. There is this common cord, this weave that weaves itself all through the teachings of Jesus, and it consists of five truths that from time to time, Jesus reminds us we need to be confronted with. And so we start it this week and we start so in this theme of the owner and the tenant. We begin where I believe is the beginning. And as we say in East Tennessee, if you ain't got this right, you ain't got nothing right. And so as you turn over to Luke chapter 20, verse 9 through 19, I believe Jesus would start this way if he were going to do an intervention with everybody in the room. Now, rather than read it, as one of my favorite parables, I'm just going to summarize, okay? You trust me, it's there and you can check me later. Here's how it goes. Jesus says there's a guy who buys a vineyard and then... He doesn't going to work it himself. He's going to lease it to some tenants and they're going to work it. So they work it. He goes away. We're not told how far, for how long. Then the time comes after the harvest that he's going to reap the benefit, get the, get the profits. So he sends a messenger, does the owner, to the tenants and demands what is rightfully his. But the tenants, they shamefully treat the messenger and they abuse him. And so Word gets back to the owner, so he sends a second messenger, and the messenger demands what is rightfully his, profits, share in the wealth. Again, they treat him shamefully. They despise him. So the owner gets word, sends a third messenger, and this time, not only do they treat him 
and despise him, or shamefully, they actually wound him. Don't kill him, but he's severely wounded. So they're getting angry, and their response is building every time. And then finally, the owner hears it, and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. He's an heir. He's part of the family. Surely they'll respect him. So the owner sends the messenger, and what do the tenants do? If you know the rest of the story, they kill the son. And they said, let's take what is ours. Let's stop being a tenant. Let's become an owner. And then the owner sends word, well, what can I do then? But take this vineyard, destroy these tenants and give the vineyard to other tenants. And then he finishes it with a phrase we'll talk about later. Now, what on earth is Jesus trying to say? He's trying to say to you that you fall into one of two categories and you better determine now which category it is. You're either a tenant living like a tenant or you're a tenant living like an owner. You're either a tenant living like a tenant or you're a tenant living like an owner. And the answer to those two questions are, is important because of this. Your answer, to a great degree, will determine your emotional constitution or countenance for the rest of your life. So ask yourself, can you describe yourself as somebody that's typically joyful, happy, glad, grateful? Or, on the other hand, are you somebody that's filled with anger? It's down deep inside. You have a sense of entitlement. You're frustrated for most of your life. Truth be told, you have chronic discontentment. No matter what happens, you just seem to be unhappy. Is that you? Well, if you're the first scenario, you're a tenant living like a tenant. If you're what I just described, you're a tenant living like an owner. And the bad news about that is, depending on which category you're in, that to a great degree may not determine your eternal destiny, but it's at least indicative of the road you're on. And so it's important then to distinguish between the two based on the parable. I got to tell you, you think Pastor Vines moves fast? Man, I got so much to cover, I'm going to move. It's going to be warp speed. So you got to hold on. And remember when we do a parable, you move from the lesser to the greater. The first thing you learn, I kind of knew that. But then you move into the more complex, the more difficult. So you got to stay with me the whole time. You ready to go? Rapid fire. Here we go. Here's the first contrast between a tenant living like a tenant and a tenant living like an owner. A tenant who lives like a tenant sees everything he or she has as a gift from God. Your food, your clothes, your house, even if it's a cardboard house. You're grateful. I noticed in Africa, there's an overwhelming sense of gratitude. The ingratitude comes from people who live in affluence. You ever wonder why that is? So if I'm in poverty, I'm grateful. If I have a lot, I'm ungrateful because I want more. But a tenant living like a tenant is happy for the food, the clothes, the house, and he sees the mountains, he's grateful. As you see the ocean water, the special gifts, your friends sitting around having coffee, communication, conversation, love and intimacy with a wife or husband. A person who is a tenant living like a tenant, you know what they do? They think, man, what did I do to deserve any of this? And in times in their life where they start to complain a little because they think they deserve more, they can picture God seated across the other side of the table saying, now remind me again why you think you deserve more. Remind me again what you did before you were born that was so good to mean that you should have an easy life, carefree and no problems. Now, I know you told me this before, but could you remind me what it is you did in eternity past to deserve anything? A tenant living like a tenant, they see everything they have as a gift from God. But a tenant living like an owner, totally different story. They see everything as a fulfillment of their sense of entitlement and the product of their own two hands. You see the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks? favorite scene. He's finally learned to build fire. And what does he do? He stands out there with his shirt off and he goes, fire, I, me, I have made fire. 
Obviously, it didn't touch you the way it touched me. But I said, man, that is, that is humanity right there. Look what I have done with my own two hands. Forget that God made the sticks and the oxygen needed and gave you the intellect and helped you learn how to build fire and had the wind come in at the right time, enough oxygen that fire happens. Forget that. It's like wealthy businessmen I meet all the time and we get in conversations. They got great business acumen. They have built a company. We have a cup of coffee. They're talking and sharing all their knowledge and I'm soaking it in. And I always remind them, but wait a minute, don't forget everything you have is a gift from God. And they take offense at that. Wait a minute, what I have I made with my own two hands. And I say, wait a minute, who gave you your own two hands? Who gave you the ability to work? Who put you on the earth in the first place? Who gave you the intellect? See, there's a temptation that when we accomplish more than others to have this smugness, this arrogance, that somehow we have a feeling of superiority. But the Bible says, wait a minute. You have the skill set you have because God gave it to you in your mother's womb. So you can never say I'm better than anybody else. God dispenses gifts as he chooses, but you all must be grateful. Now, we just moved to Upland. That was hard work. <laughs> Boxes everywhere. And my wife, she, at this point, she starts asking me to do things that I am not gifted to do. <laughs> she went, I took her to Home Depot, and which you got to understand to me is like a nightmare. And uh, we got these shelves that you have to then go and put together. And she asked me to put them together. It's not that I'm lazy. And if, 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 you, know, if you want me to get up and clean out the gutters out, I can do that. If you want me to mow the ground, I'll do it, even though I don't. But I would, I would. And here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't know how to do these things. And, and these guys who write these directions of how to put these shelves together, they're masochists. And they hate people like me. And they're going to punish me even farther and say, you don't have my gift set, you're going to die. So I go out there and look at them. And, I, and you know how humbling it is for me to have to go to my son? <laughs> Who has that gift set and say, Delaney, could you help me? Sure, dad. You just stand over there, dad. Hand me what I tell you. And he's got it. 10 minutes. Man, they're up there ready to go. You know how humbly, and I remind him when he starts getting a little smug, hey, I don't see you preaching every weekend. And here's the point. Here's the point. God gifts us each in a different way. But the point is, they are his gifts. A tenant acting like a tenant sees everything as a gift from God. Everything. A tenant acting like an owner sees a sense of entitlement and the product, everything they have is a product of their own two hands. Now, that's the easy part. Now let's move on to the complex. A tenant's primary emotion, a tenant living like a tenant, is joy. Because ultimately they trust in the goodwill of the owner. Most of us fear for our lives. We fear what's happening tomorrow. We're not sure how life is gonna turn out. How does God get us from fear to trust ultimately in him? Well, you know the answer, don't you? If you trust in your finances, it means he might have to take them away from you to help you understand your trust should not be there, but in him. So what happens? He has to put you in the middle of some great difficulty to teach you that real meaning, purpose, and real everything rests not in how much stuff you have, but in your relationship with God. Let's say your trouble is that you depend on relationships to give you everything you need rather than looking to God to give you everything you need. Then sometimes God will bring relational conflict in your life to teach you, no, wait a minute, these are gifts from me, but ultimately your relationship is to be with me. So how does he get you from here to there? Conflict. Now, the problem is, once he takes you from here, it's not that painful. When you're almost there, it's not that painful. The painful time is the land in between. When you feel like God's not hearing your prayers, when you feel like you're in the wilderness, you're in the desert, and you don't know what God's doing, you forget that the same God that brought you here is the same God that's going to take you there. Now, a person who is a tenant, living as a tenant, they have joy in the land in between. And do you know why? They trust in the goodwill of the owner. 
They know they're happy almost. James says, consider it pure joy, my, bri- my brothers, when you face trials of many kind, knowing that these trials, God's going to take them and he's going to build and forge your character and you're going to be made perfect, not lacking anything. So because a tenant knows there's an owner and he's not hit, a tenant living like a tenant has joy in the land in between because he trusts the goodwill of the father, the goodwill of the owner to work everything out. Now, I say that because that's a vast contrast between a tenant living like an owner. A tenant living like an owner, the primary emotion is anger. Now you think, is this you? The Bible says a great deal of human behavior can only be explained in terms of a deep dynamic of spiritual and emotional repression. Stay with me, man, I need those brains firing. The Bible says that a great deal of human behavior can only be explained in terms of a deep dynamic of spiritual and emotional repression. That is that you and I behave the way we do, much of us, most of us, because we're repressing something. But the problem is psychologists tell us that repression of any kind over-determines behavior. What do I mean? Well, it's a young girl who doesn't get the approval from her father. She desperately wants it. So what does she do? She goes out and tries to find approval somewhere else. She doesn't realize that's what she's doing. She represses the hurt, but it overdetermines her behavior to the point sometimes she may become a prostitute. She'll do things that women would not ordinarily do because there's something she repressed. Now, I'm always picking on those people. How about picking on me? How about picking on pastors? Now, if you're a pastor, you're a teacher, and you're listening to this, wherever you are, I want you to hear me. Uh, Meyer Clinic states this, talking about the pastor. Here's what they say. They say, out of all the various personality types in our culture, there is one type that is more likely to get depressed than any other. The type is the nice guy. The person who is self-sacrificing and overly conscious, overly dutiful and hardworking. While he's out in society, however, serving humanity at a work pace of 70 to 80 hours a week, he is selfishly ignoring his wife and children. In his own eyes and in the eyes of society, he is the epitome of human dedication. While his wife suffers from loneliness and his sons eventually commit suicide. Now that's not the case every time. He becomes angry when his wife and children place demands on him. He can't understand how, he could have had, how they could have the nerve to call such a, a great, unselfish, dedicated servant a selfish husband and father. But in reality... His wife and children are correct and they are suffering severely because of this subtle selfishness. This is precisely the reason why so many of the children of pastors, missionaries, and doctors turn out to be rebellious. And do you know what pastors repress? The fear of anonymity. The fear that no one will know who they are. Oh, pastors don't like that. I've let that out of the bag. (laughs) I'd be lying to you if I did not tell you that anybody that thinks they can stand on a stage like this every weekend and 5,000 people are going to listen, there's something to him. And he's going to fight it all of his life. He's going to have to ask himself, whose kingdom am I building? God's or my own? That there's a fear of not being known. And for many pastors, that drives them to do good, but not of love for God so that people will praise them. Repression. Overdetermines behavior in everyone. Now we talked about me. Let's talk about you. No, oh, you don't like that so much. <laughs> you enjoyed that two-minute spot. 
There's something the Bible says that all of us repress, or at least most people. And it overdetermines our behavior. We would never admit it. And you know what it is? That we have a contempt, an animosity, a hatred toward God. You say, well, Jeff, I don't hate, listen, that's because you've repressed it. Paul says in Romans, because the carnal mind is enmity. The Greek word is ekthra. It's enemy, hatred, the opposite of agape. In Romans 1.18, he said, God is mad. And God is mad because we are suppressing, repressing, holding down the truth and unrighteousness. You know what the Bible teaches from step one till the end? That more than an apathy, more than an indifference toward God, oh, we have a contempt an anger, a hatred, a repressed hatred. And you think, my goodness, why do we hate God? Because we want to be the owners. We want to control. We repress it. It overdetermines our behavior, so we spend our life fighting the owner. I remember in New Zealand debating a New Zealand professor. It was a formal, informal, so you had the atheist and the believers and I thought, you know, this is going to be a good debate. I could tell it was good because I'd read some of this guy's work. Oh, okay, this guy's at least coming, not with emotion, but great intelligence. And this is going to be good. He went first. And about 15 minutes into his talk, I was so disappointed. He's not bringing any facts or anything brought to bear on creation or evolution. None of that. And, you know, about 15 minutes into it, God gave me a vision. And I was able to see this guy for who he really was. And I could picture him as a little schoolboy with knee-high socks and little blue shorts and a little tank top, a little captain's hat doing this. I don't want to do what God tells me. I want credit for all my intellect. I don't want any restrictions. That was 15 minutes of that. I'm thinking, my goodness, God, what is wrong with you? At least Aldous Huxley was a was an honest, smart man. You remember Aldous Huxley, what he said? He said, it's not that, it's not that there's not enough evidence concerning the existence of God and I don't believe. No, that's not me. I don't want there to be a God because I want to sleep with whomever I want to sleep with. At least he's honest, right? Which brings me to the third difference. Tenants living like tenants manage all that God has given by his word and for his profit. If you're a tenant living like a tenant, that everything that's been given to you, everything, you manage it by his word and for his profit. By his word means within his parameters. You can't use what God has given you any old way you want to use it because you're not the owner. You're the tenant. You can't decide, I'm going to turn this vineyard into a football field or maybe a brothel to make some more money or a shooting range. You must manage what God has given by his word, but there's a catch. If by his word means within his restrictions, the catch is this. If you manage what has been given to you by God within the parameters, then prosperity comes. Prosperity comes. Now, let's use an example here. Let me ask you something. Where did you get your body? Everybody in the room now, you got it from God. He's the owner. And some of you are thinking, man, can I trade this in for a new model? No, listen. (laughs) Listen, you got the body. It belongs to God. You get to use it. Okay? Thank God you're not going to have it for eternity, right? But this is the one you're using. Who gets to determine how you use it? You're the tenant. The owner gets to determine how you use what belongs to him. But if you use it the way God says you should use it, the owner, then it leads to prosperity. If you abuse it, well, it's going to be bad. There's no better illustration than this 
Then C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce, talking about the ghost-like figure, not the complete man making his way toward heaven. And on his right shoulder is a red lizard. The lizard represents lust. Now you know what lust is, right? To all of us, God gives us desires and passions. They come from him. He created you that way. And if you fulfill those desires and passions with legitimate means, within the parameters and restrictions God gives, then it's a beautiful thing. But if you fulfill those passions and desires by illegitimate means, what it does, it turns desire into lust and then the lust becomes insatiable. It frustrates you because you never can quite fill it. You want more and more and the more you have, the more you want. And it leads to a life of anger, frustration, discontent, chronic discontent. So C.S. Lewis says, the man's marching up to heaven. He's got the lizard of lust. He knows he can't bring it into heaven. And the angel stops him and says, you want me to get rid of that for you? Sure I do. Can you get rid of it? And he starts to move toward him, but it burns the man and the lizard. He said, wait a minute, you're hurting me. He said, I didn't say it wouldn't hurt, but it won't kill you. And then the guy says, well, maybe I want to keep this. I can't live without it. He says, no, I'm telling you, you want to live without it. Finally, he burns the lizard off and the lizard doesn't die. It turns into a beautiful stallion. Because when you allow God to fill your needs, passions, and desires in his way. It's a beautiful, rigorous life. But when you violate it, it will kill you. It will destroy you and will create other insatiable desires. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And we're only partway through this message from Pastor Jeff, but we need to pause there. We're in Luke chapter 20, looking at the parable of the tenants. And next time, we'll continue thinking about whether we're living like a tenant or living like an owner. When are you gonna realize God has gifted you, but you're not the owner? What are you gonna do with joy to manage what He's given you, not only by His Word, but for His profit? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.